Well, special welcome again if you're here today, and uh, wonderful you can make it out this Sunday. I'm going to have a word of prayer, and then we'll open up the word of God together. Father, we give you thanks, Lord, that you speak through your holy scriptures. We pray today that we might have open hearts, receptive ears, to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Ah, well, uh, look, um, I've been reflecting uh, just over the holiday period. I was up in Queensland for a couple of weeks, and during that time I was reading the book of Joshua, the first half of it, and um, just reflecting on some of the passages and so forth. And in the journey of that, I thought the Lord may well have a a few principles he might like to share with us from the book of Joshua. So just a one-off message here. It's largely, I guess, about vision. I've titled it Entering the Promised Land. Entering the Promised Land. Let me read the first couple of verses. Joshua 1.1, it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the River Jordan into the land I'm about to give them. Today we'll look at several keys in regards to entering the promised land, but we can apply that into our church context and say, It could be about entering the North Church destiny. Now, just briefly, the author of Joshua generally is regarded by evangelical scholars as being Joshua himself, except for the very last bit of the book. And uh, Joshua's name means Yahweh saves, very appropriately, as the leader of Israel at that time. Uh, As far as the date of the writing of the book, uh, it's generally agreed that it was uh, the commencement of the writing was just after Moses' death, which uh, Chuck Swindle and other evangelical scholars believe was approximately 1,406 BC. And uh, the, the span of the book covers about 25 years of Israel's history, so about 1,400 years before Christ, the writing of the book. Let me read one of the famous verses of the book, Joshua 1.8. It says, Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then your way will be prosperous and successful. Um, I mentioned uh, last week uh, a little bit about uh, the first pastor who discipled me. And we went through a discipleship series, as did a couple of other young guys. And uh, anyway, uh, that was when we got to the Word of God, which was one of the topics. That was a verse we had to memorise, meditating on God's Word day and night. Now, it's an interesting word, this, meditation. And I believe this is going to be a key for us, being a people who meditate on God's Word. First key to entering the promised land, number one, meditate on God's Word. Meditate on God's Word. Key to entering into the North Church destiny. You know, um, Christian meditation, though, is quite different to uh, what is sometimes referred to as Eastern meditation. I was chatting with a guy in my car. Uh, it was about an hour's drive, and we talked a lot about spirituality. This is uh, just on Friday night. And, uh, yeah, he's kind of explored Christianity a bit, but he's also explored um, some kind of more New Age Eastern forms of meditation. And, um, of course, for Eastern meditation, generally, the practice is to clear the mind, as in empty it. I think that immediately opens it up to any sort of influences out there. Um, the Christian meditation is quite different. The Christian focuses their mind. 
And here we're told to focus on the principles of God's word. Uh, now, it's taken from a Hebrew word uh, that's been translated meditation from the Hebrew word hagah, uh, which could be literally translated to mutter. The actual idea of meditation is literally to ponder, dwell on, and mutter scripture to ourselves so it starts to take root in our hearts. The words there of Eugene Peterson. Um, interesting concept. Uh, to say a little bit more about it, um, the Hebrew hagar, it alluded uh, to an animal eating and digesting its food, slowly consuming, tasting and labouring over its food, and the concept it could could even mean to roar, to growl, to groan. In other words, you get this idea of a lion taken away. It's, um, it's uh, let's say, deer or whatever it's caught, and it's there growling as it devours that food. Um, so we kind of, the idea is for us, we're to savour the word of God. Um, I think this could be illustrated uh, by our dog, Pom-Pom. You give Pom-Pom a lamb bone, mate, here he is, look at him. Now he likes to, first, as he gets, gets handed the lamb bone, he likes to make sure he's, no one's there coming to take it as he looks around. And he licks it all over, has a little taste of the whole lamb bone, savouring it. And then he, he likes to actually start munching on it, as you'll see him do in just a moment. And he likes to do it in private, preferably. He likes to find a little spot by himself and go and enjoy that bone. And he'll spend quite a while munching away on that bone. There he goes, getting into it now. And um, it's one of his favourite foods. And I'll tell you what, he does do a bit of growling if someone comes over to interrupt him. No interrupting him when he's eating his lamb bone. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, after he's eaten his lamb bone, he generally likes to have a nap. Okay? Let's see. This is what he looks like. <laughs> uh, enjoyed a nice big lamb bone, time for a little sleep. Uh, just to, to say I'm not reading too much into this, let me again quote from Eugene Peterson. He says this, Reading Holy Scripture is totally physical. Our bodies... Uh, our bodies are the means of providing our souls access to God in his revelation. Eat this book, he writes. And so like Pom-Pom getting alone with that lamb bone, enjoying it, savouring it, exploring it, um, we need to also be a people who get alone with the word of God. Devour it. Let it become one with us. Allow it to influence us. Let those principles uh, influence the way we live our lives. Let's have a look at another verse. The following verse says this, Joshua 1.9. The Lord is speaking to Joshua. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And uh, Brett used that scripture uh, partly in reference for me coming into the role here last week. But you'll notice what Joshua does with those very words. Joshua 10.25. Then Joshua said to them, he said to the nation Israel, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Be strong and courageous. And so Joshua very, very much felt that was a word for not just him, but for the nation. And can I suggest that this is, I think, is going to be another key for our future as a church? Keys to entering the promised land. Be strong and courageous as we enter into the North Church destiny. Now, the opposite, of course, of being strong and courageous, and we pick it up in the verse, is to be fearful and discouraged. 
Um, you know, two years of COVID has got many people feeling anxious about the future. Uh, many churches' uh, attendances have dropped significantly. Many businesses have fallen over. Um, people can be anxious about the future, discouraged about their employment situation, and perhaps discouraged about their finances. Um, it may be discouraged about their ministry and their church context. Uh, it's the meditation, though, on God's word that gives us this courage. And as the end of that verse, end of verse 9, remember what it said? The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. You know, God being with us can give us confidence to be courageous, knowing that truth. You know, can I suggest this? At North Church, we need to have a renewed sense of faith and courage that the Holy Spirit will help us fulfill this vision. What vision? Well, let's be reminded of our vision statements. Here's one. North Church vision, we see God leading a caring family, thriving through discipleship, locally engaged, regionally focused, globally aware, and constantly giving birth to new mission. Fantastic statement. Or um, a whole people caring for the whole world. Or North Church vision, reach the unreached, touch the untouched, love the unloved. Let's believe for fresh strength and courage that the Lord will help us walk into the promised land of this vision. Another passage, Joshua 3.11 says this, See the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. As soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is in flood during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water was flowing down to the Sea of Arabah that is, the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. There's really two miracles in that uh, account. One of them is that God piled up the, the waters, so like a dam, no one could see the dam, but God, in his supernatural power, just piled it up as if there was a great dam wall further upstream. And the second thing is, of course, they crossed on dry ground. Um, now, even if a, a river stopped flowing for a little while, it's, certainly, it's not dry ground for a bit. Um, I was out fishing with Zach and his friend, Aidan, and his friend's dad, and we're walking back to the car. This is... Um, late by then, a bit after 10 o'clock, so it's pretty dark. We've got little headlamps on, though. Aren't and, uh, and I yelled out to them because there was a, a stream that sometimes flows into the main river, but it hadn't been, hadn't, wouldn't have been flying for a week or so, but it's still muddy. So I yelled back, uh, it's, it's uh, pretty muddy, this next section. Well, they're just a bit behind me. And next thing, the guy, um, Zach and I had gumboots on, so we were fine. But... Uh, <laughs> The other two, they just brought old sand shoes. And so um, 
Aiden's dad steps in. Shoes go in the mud and his, his feet come straight out of the shoes and the shoes stay in the mud. <laughs> and that's after it hadn't been flying for a week or so. Now, so yeah, the fact that they walked on dry ground means this was clearly supernatural also. God immediately dried the riverbed. Can I make this suggestion? Keys to entering the promised land? May we be a people who expect the miraculous. The Israelites certainly did. Number three, expect the miraculous. It will help us in entering into the North Church destiny. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, I'm suggesting that uh, we expect supernatural answers to prayer. We, last week I talked about um, experiencing what it was to be born again. You know, um, we need to be expectant that people are going, we're going to connect with people and they're going to be born again. They're going to come into faith in Jesus Christ and it's going to be life-changing. We're going to expect to see people healed, set free from demonic influence. We're going to expect deep encounters with the Holy Spirit here as we worship God or in other settings. We're going to expect the miraculous this year. Let's be of that expectation. Uh, it's one thing to have faith and um, know that God can do the miraculous, but it's another thing to expect it. And let me suggest that in, in the reading of Scripture, when it talks about faith, it is that sort of idea, that we are expecting the miraculous. It's not a case of we know he can do it. It's a case we're expecting him to. Life-changing faith. One more passage, uh, Joshua 6, 1 through 5. It says this, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred, because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March round the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Make seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march round the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, make the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. And so God sends an angel to speak to Joshua. And uh, Joshua's used to the Lord giving instruction or his angels giving instruction. He saw it happen in the life of Moses. And sometimes those instructions from a human point of view, don't make a lot of sense. But he would, nevertheless, he would listen and respond to the Lord's strategy. Can I suggest this? Keys to entering the promised land? Four, implement the Lord's strategy. Number four, implement the Lord's strategy. If we're going to enter the destiny of North Church, God's destiny for the church, we need to have open ears to hear a sense of, of his leading and guidance. You know, um, last year, as I'm thinking about um, the teaching program for this year and also earlier in the holiday period, there's a few things that have been laid on my heart. Um, and uh, some of it's based around our vision. Let's have a look at the vision again. It says, we see God leading a caring family, thriving through discipleship, locally engaged, regionally focused, globally aware, and constantly giving birth to new missions. There are three key things within there. There's an emphasis on being a caring family, which we could sum up with the word love. Um, the word discipleship itself is central. And the word mission. Can I suggest there are three important areas, if we're going to live out that vision, that we need to keep on developing. Um, 
I usually complete uh, four teaching series over a year. Um, the year is neatly broken up into four terms, and so I often teach uh, four uh, different series. Sometimes I might do a, a double series on something. And so my proposal, one of my proposals is I want to cover three, those three areas over the next 12 months. The first one that I'm about to start, of course, has um, been uh, referred to as the life and teachings of Jesus. And this one really is about what does it mean to be a disciple and how did Jesus train his um, followers to make disciples? And so it's a twofold thing. We're looking at how to be a disciple and how to make disciples. And we'll spend, um, we'll spend several weeks on that leading into Easter and including the Easter period. And one of the things you'll often hear me say, to get the Word of God to a place where it um, has more opportunity to bring transformation in our lives is choosing to do several things. Um, I'm going to mention four. One is making it a priority to listen to the preached word of God. It's great to be here live and listen to the preached word. Um, you know, as, as much as it is good to watch things online, for sure, absolutely, but there is something about being in the environment, in a live environment. You know, I was visiting um, some churches over the holiday period, and there's no, it's, it's, a, it's a powerful thing, being there in the presence of God's people, in the presence of his Holy Spirit, sitting under the preached word of God. But, of course... If you do have to miss one, we will have them available online on our website. Um, a second area that I think can help in the journey of this is more than listening to the preached word, but also then choose to take some time out to meditate on those very things that we've been talking about as part of your personal quiet times. And I've provided a book to do that along with the series. Uh, you're welcome to browse and have a look at these if you'd like, but the idea is we'll, we'll start it after the first sermon. So as part of your personal quiet times, you could be working your way through uh, a chapter of this book each week. You wouldn't have to spend all of your quiet times doing it, but you know, perhaps three of them or so, you'd cover that chapter. Um, and also, as you've heard today too, um, uh, Brother Tom, he's going to be leading uh, a Bible, this very uh, book, in Bible study format, so you're moving then, you're meditating on God's word in your personal quiet, quiet times, but then you're discussing it in a small group environment. And we'll probably just leave that out in our cafe area, Friday night, 7.30, again, after the series commences. So in about, um, it'll be about uh, three weeks away. Uh, and then finally, um, any series I teach you, you'll be aware I do a lot of application. And you bring that into play as well, where you've listened to the preached word, You've meditated on those passages and with reflective questions and so forth as part of your quiet times. You've discussed it further in a small group environment and you've applied its teaching. You know, um, you've brought to, in this case, it's about discipleship. You know, one of the things that um, we've talked about at the leadership level is uh, next year as we run some core group meetings once a month, um, often around food, possibly straight after the, the uh, well, not immediately after the church service, after a time of fellowship and then We'll stick around perhaps for lunch on a Sunday. And the core group are anyone heading up a ministry department. But the idea is um, people who are ministry leaders will get together, do some lunch, but uh, perhaps watch a few principles about leadership from John Maxwell and actually have some information where we can fill that out. Uh, he does a lot of little short sessions of about five, ten minutes. And so fill out the information. And then having done that as, as a group, discuss it a little Pray it into our lives. See if there's something there that we could all be learning from and applying in our ministry areas. We might do one or two of those. So the idea is once a month, as leaders, can we be discipled 
through that sort of process. One of the things you'll hear me say in the actual series is I'm, I'm going to be encouraging people, if we do lead people to Christ, I think it's such a powerful tool to have a one-on-one discipleship journey with that person. I had that as a new believer. Um, I'd, uh, in my case, it was actually the pastor of the church would meet with myself. A couple of other guys were in this as well. And uh, every fortnight, it was one-on-one where we'd talk, go through a study, talk about life, pray together, and that really grounded me in the Word of God. And uh, the other week, the three of us would get together with the pastor and also have a meal together. But we did that for over a year. Um, and so one of the things you'll hear me say in the series is I think it would be great to... Um, I've got a series of books that I think are really good for that sort of process. But the idea is one person meeting with one hour a week for one year. And in the journey of all that, helping that person really get grounded in the Word of God... Um, you bring them into your world. So if you, you attend a small group Bible study, encourage them to come to that. If you're involved in a particular ministry area, get them involved in that ministry area. Do life together. And in the journey of that, hopefully that new believer is firmly grounded in the things of God. If we're running Alpha as a new believer together, sit with them at the Alpha table. You got it. If you're at a church service, you sit near them in the church service. Do life together. But that's, that's one of the... Um, the, the applications there. Let's, uh, term two, I'm thinking of doing a series on love. And so this will be all based on 1 Corinthians. As you know, Paul uh, describes what love is in 1 Corinthians. The first week, for instance, I just do a general one on love based more on the first few verses of that chapter, and then he starts to describe it. So the second week, love is patient, love is kind. I do a message on those that, that thing, love is patient, love is kind, those two descriptive uh, words on love and journey through the series. And I think perhaps in that series, if it's all about love, um, wouldn't it be good to perhaps do some meals as a church as a whole, not just as a core group, but actually the church as a whole, do some regular um, Sunday meals together. And as part of that as well, you know, make use of um, Helen's great encouragement cards and let's be regularly handing one of those to one or two people every week as, as a source of encouraging one another. Um, Carol had a great idea, didn't she, about a food bank? You've heard me mention that before, um, about the, uh, perhaps one weekend fairly soon, we might all get together, uh, well, those who like cooking, get together and cook a favourite meal or two. Um, we've got you know, virtually an industrial kitchen there behind this stage wall, and then we create a food bank. We've got all these um, parcels of food in, in the freezers, and as, as people have a need, you know, whatever that need might be, you know, it could be... Um, you know, there's been a death in the family. It could be that there's financial pressure. It could be just a really stressful period of life. Wouldn't it be great to just pop in and grab a couple of meals that all you have to do is pop them in the oven? So, you know, again, that kind of creating that caring community. Um, as part of that series too, I'm going I'm to ask my wife to um, speak a message on personality types because I think as you understand your personality type, it can make a big difference to how you connect with one another. Um, I was at uh, my friend's church, David. He was an old music director of mine when I lived in Sydney for several years. Um, we moved to Melbourne and he moved up to Queensland. And when I was in Queensland, I popped in, uh, caught, caught up with he and Tracy and also visited their church. Um, Tracy said that when she did that personality thing that um, Pamela taught and, and the actual filled in the thing to find out their personality types, um, she said that was the best thing for David and my marriage ever. I just thought he was a little bit weird, you know, and he's just because he wasn't like me. And then I realised, oh, my goodness, that's his personality. And it's, it totally fits him. And 
I kind of get it now, why he says what he says and why he does what he does. And it's just interesting. Um, you know, so that that's, could be all part of that. Let's, let's get closer together. Let's learn how to love one another and do family together. And I think it would be a good time to further develop our pastoral care team as well. Very briefly, I'll just finish off with these two. Um, term three doesn't so directly relate to any of this, although it's probably a good precursor for the next series. I want to have a look at two of the things that are hotly debated in the secular world as being just fanciful stories, the Red Sea Crossing and Noah's Ark. And what I want to do in this, really, it's, it's about restoring our confidence in the inspiration and accuracy of Scripture. So I'm, I'm not actually expecting you just to... Um, purely at face value, read the word of God and believe it by blind faith. Rather, I want you to believe it because of educated faith. And we're going to dig in archaeological evidence, um, ancient literature. We're going to even look into a bit of science. We're going to look at reasons why you can be confident that these are not just fanciful tales. They're actually genuinely genuine, genuine events that took place and that we can trust the accuracy of scripture and finally for the first first uh, fourth term we'll have a look at mission remember the last bit of the statement was that uh, we're going to be a people who are constantly giving birth to new mission and so we're going to look here at a one I'm, I'm calling spring into action it will be spring that time of year and it's based on the scripture be active in sharing your faith spring into action and we're going to look in this series uh, there is a book that comes with this series I've written as well this one here, we're going to look at the various approaches to outreach or evangelism. So we'll look at, well, one of, the, one of Paul's approaches. One of his approaches was to simply share his story. You heard me share my testimony or my uh, faith journey or my, uh, you know, whatever we want to call it, last week. Let's get better at sharing our story. Short versions, long versions. Paul used to do it all the time as one of his tools to share the gospel. Or we're going to have a, a look at where Jesus sat down with someone, and uh, the woman at the well, and he just chats with her. You know, we have a record of the conversation. By the end of the conversation, she's accepted him. It believes he is genuinely the Messiah. But that, that's that one-on-one form of, of reaching out to someone. We're going to look at Matthew, where Matthew decides uh, he's become a, a follower of Jesus, um, and Matthew decides, well, I'm going to throw a party. I invite these new friends of mine, the disciples of Jesus, and I invite my fellow tax collectors and a bunch of other people, and we're going to mix them all together and let's see what happens. And uh, and the list goes on. We're going to look at Philip, and Philip um, he comes into Samaria. And in Philip's case, you know, he um, drives out demons, he heals the sick, and he preaches the word. And there's a huge community of people come to faith in Christ. There, we're going to look at the Christian in the workaday environment and how we can be a witness in that environment, and so on. But the idea is there are many different approaches to outreach within the scriptures and uh, just getting better learning more about those uh, could be valuable and there might be one in particular you think actually that sits really well with me I could do that one and as we move towards the end of that year of course we're leading into Christmas and what a great time to think through a few applications by doing several outreaches as a church community leading into that period well today We've covered four points. Keys to entering the promised land. Number one, meditate on God's word. Number two, be strong and courageous. Number three, expect the miraculous. And number four, that I spent a lot of time on, implement the Lord's strategy. And there'll be many other visionary ideas that people have throughout the church in regards to the Lord's strategy. May we be a people who truly walk into that destiny the Lord has for us. 
Well, as I call the worship team back, let's finish with a word of prayer. David uh, started his communion session with the words from Joshua 24.15. And this is what we read. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Now, may this be a season as a church where we really do make serving God a priority in our lives. Um, sharing with us, uh, you know, I guess you hear it in my testimony. I was, I was about to quote something else, but actually you heard it at the end of my testimony. The coming to a life-changing faith in Jesus for me brought me to the point where I thought, well, you know what? If this is real, discovering the reality of God, actually nothing is more important than building his kingdom becomes more important than anything else. Let's pray together. Father, here today as we've uh, opened the Word of God and we've meditated on a, a variety of passages in the book of Joshua. Lord, I pray that we as a church, at North Church, that we would get good, we'd get stronger at meditating on your Word. That we'd be a people who truly are courageous as we endeavour to follow your purposes, that we would be a people who expect the miraculous and we'd have open ears to hear and implement, obedient hearts to implement your strategies. We endeavour to build your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.